Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is no better group of buds for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to answer some of your gardening queries. This week, we'll be talking about peppers presentations and prodigies in the world of gardening. Later on, I'll be joined by Steph Dunn-James, third generation director of tree nursery Frank P. Matthews in Tembury Wells. I'll be asking Steph about what to look for when buying a tree. Well, what a week. Monday up in uh, St Andrews in Scotland for a garden centre conference, And then the next day off to uh, Dusseldorf for a really big horticultural exhibition and then back here in London, you know, a a sort of whistle-stop tour. But goodness, so much information and so many people. But before I get on to some of that, what about the jobs to do this week? I forgot last week I meant to mention that we should be sowing peppers and aubergines. The peppers especially are very slow germinating. They're not like tomatoes that are up in a few days. They'll take two or three weeks to germinate. And then the seedlings are really quite slow to grow. So if you like both sweet and hot peppers, and of course aubergine, can you get sowing in the next few days? You need a really good sterile seed compost, whatever you do. And if you sow the seeds widely spaced, just covered, and then pop them somewhere really warm, they should be up in two weeks or so. The same sort of treatment can be given to very fine seeds like begonia. That's pretty slow too. They just need sowing on the surface and then it's quite difficult to see them when they start to grow. And the little tip I can give you is that with all seedlings, if you're looking to see that first little folded shoot push through the compost, then hold them up to eye level, look across the surface of the uh, compost and you can see the little white upside down u-shaped shoots pushing through and as soon as you see that all seedlings of course need to come out into the daylight somewhere very close to windows if you're raising indoors and you can even put something a bit reflective behind them to shine plenty of light onto them if you're going to grow uh, peppers and aubergines for all of their lives in pots do be sure you get the smaller compact growing varieties I'm thinking of things like uh, peppers, redskin and apache, and the aubergine, pot black. They can stay in containers all their life, and if you sow now, you'll have ripening fruits by June or early July. Now, what about that garden centre conference up at uh, St Andrews in Scotland? I think it was the 38th conference that I've attended. And it's the one time in the year when something like a hundred garden centre proprietors and representatives all get together and hear about all kinds of things, what's happened in the past, what's likely to happen in the future. And most important for me, on the Monday, four independent inspectors who have checked the garden centres for all of the members 
they give their annual report. One of them, I think he said he had 2,000 slides taken from over 60 centres. So it's a chance for me to just see all of those different centres right across the country and just see what's going on. And I can tell you, the standard on the best just gets unbelievably better every time. But the one award that uh, really attracts my attention is that for plants. It's called the Ruxley Rose, and there are two categories. There's one just for, shall we say, ordinary garden centres, tends to be the smaller ones, and then another section altogether for what we call destination garden centres. They're the really big ones, you know, they have quite a lot of franchises, they may have a farm shop, they may sell outdoor clothing, and the winners of the garden centre types for the best plants last year after two inspections, one in the spring and again in the autumn, was cows up in the northeast. Now that really must be an outstanding garden centre. I've known the family for years and you know they've won this prize for the best plants for seven years running. And I can tell you the competition is really fierce. Prior to them really taking the stage, then it was a Sunshine Garden Centre in North London, and they do a very good job too. So we had cows with the first prize, and then planters from Bretbury, they came second, and third was Thompson's Garden Centre in Welling. So a pretty good spread. Some of you may be able to get in and have a look at them and just see what you think of the plants they're offering. And then in the destination garden centres, first was Squires at Twickenham. I was really pleased about that. I've worked with Colin Squire since the early days of the Garden Centre Association, way back in the 1970s. Lovely man, lovely family. Boy, they look after their staff. And they look after the plants too, by all accounts. Just fancy. The best garden centre for plants in the whole country, Squires at Twickenham. And runner-up, I'm told, by just a fraction of a point or so, was Bent's up near Manchester. Now, that is a destination garden centre. Just look at the size of that when you go in. I think they have something like three or 400 covers for the restaurant. Goodness knows how many chefs. And they have cakes to make you drool, I'll tell you. So Bent's came second for plants, and third was Barton Grange at Preston. Then, of course, there are awards for the best overall, not just plants, everything. And in the smaller centre, the winners, surprisingly, were cows. You know, they don't even have a coffee shop, so that tells you just uh, how much attention they must pay to gardening to uh, win that top spot. And in the destination centres, then it was Barton Grange. But they had quite a field day, really, because another part in the afternoon that I really look forward to are presentations by what are called rising stars. Every year, a number of young people have to register and apply, are selected to be mentored through the year, and to be trained in how to look after plants, how to stage them, how to look after customers, all those kinds of things. And then the five best get to come to conference and go on stage in front of those hundreds of people to make their presentation of what they've done in the past year and how they've looked after plants or how they've increased sales. And the rising stars this year, I've got all their names here, there was John Bradley from Stewart's at Christchurch, there was Catherine Crouch from Haskins on the south coast, Hannah Parker from uh, Moncton Elm, uh, she's out in the southwest, and Rupert Slight from Squires, a different Squires this time, I think it was Cobham, from Barton Grange, 
Daniel Holden. And the reason I say that Martin Grange had a bit of a field day was that uh, the audience voted him as having the best presentation. All five of them we got to meet at Chelsea last year because they grew plants in containers and were part of our exhibit. Really great young people, and it does your heart good to see the enthusiasm, the energy of these wide-eyed, bushy-tailed people in our business. What about the IPM at Essen in Dusseldorf? Won't mean anything to you, will it? But it means quite a lot to me. I hadn't been for two years... I uh, used to like to go every year. There are something like 1,500 exhibitors from close on 50 different countries. And it fills 13 halls with every kind of plant, cut flower, pieces of equipment, composts, all kinds of things. And I tell you, there was so much there to see, to learn... And I would think every two metres down the aisles, I would bump into somebody, somebody that I had connections with, perhaps from Japan, Australia, from North America, certainly from all over Europe. I tell you, I came home absolutely buzzing. And there are several messages too coming out. You know, our world is changing so fast. And the uh, younger people, they don't have much time. They want easy care. And I was very interested to see and hear from a representative from Denmark how succulents are being uh, bought in enormous numbers as houseplants, and particularly by young people. Val Bradley was writing in the TV magazine uh, about these succulents, and they feature quite a bit in her new book, this Easy Care Houseplant trend. And I wondered where it came from. You know, there's usually an energy somewhere that pushes these things through. And the Dane cracked it for me. He said what they were looking for is plants which were really tough. They are growing them in Thailand, where, of course, uh, you don't need heating. You know, there's plenty of warmth and stuff grows very quickly there. But the plants they were growing needed to go in a container on a ship for five weeks or so to reach here. I mean, that eliminates all the cost of flying stuff about. And if they'll stand five weeks in the dark, in a container, on a ship, then they stand a pretty good chance of uh, living in our households. I'm very pleased to welcome this week Steph Dunn-James from Frank P. Matthews at uh, Tembury Wells. Now, Steph... I think you're a third generation, aren't you, in that family business up in Tembury? Actually, um, Peter, I'm fourth generation. Oh, are you? I stand yes. corrected. I mean, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, what I remember was that your grandfather uh, had a tree-growing orchard at Heathrow. I mean, that's as far as my memory and knowledge goes back. You're very close. So Frank Matthews, the um, founder of the business, he started at Heathrow actually selling roses door-to-door and the business was taken on then after the war. It's, a, it's over 100 years old now. After the war, my grandfather and grandmother took the business on, and the land was compulsory purchased because of the expansion of the Heathrow runway. Oh, really? Yep, and so they moved the, um, the nursery over a number of years, because trees take quite a long time to grow, um, up to Worcestershire, which is where we are now. And, of course, you've got some pretty good land, haven't you? It's in the valley there, some really good uh, alluvial soil. 
That's right. We're right in the heart of the Team Valley. So we have the Team River that runs through our, our land. And it was the main reason that we located here rather than anywhere else was the, the land that we, that we farm on and, and the river here that we can use for irrigation. And, and like you said, it's very fertile soil. Your position is uh, or was pretty unusual. I mean, we didn't have a great many women working, particularly in a tree nursery where in the early days you needed quite a bit of muscle, didn't you, and a good steel spade to uh, lift those big trees. What's it like being a woman in horticulture? Oh, well, horticulture is such a fantastic industry to be in, um, you know, to be able to connect with nature and, and spread the word um, about, you know, natural growing things. Being a woman has its challenges sometimes. I think um, it's quite a stereotypical manly industry. But I think a lot of leading ladies in horticulture now are um, setting great examples for, for women coming into the industry. Well, I, I can think of several. I mean, there was Jane Darby and her niece now with Darby Nursery Stock up in Methwold. Mm-hmm. And Sue Allen, the garden centre operator in Kent, her daughter's following her now. That's right. Tammy. I mean, we've got um, the Director General of the Horticulture Trades Association, Carol Paris. We have Sue Biggs, who's Director General at the RHS. I mean, you're taking over. You're taking over the world. (laughs) Yeah, watch out. (laughs) (laughs) But the most important thing, I think, for us today is is to give uh, listeners a bit of advice on buying trees. I mean, if you were out today with a a modest-sized garden looking for a a tree or two, what would you look for? What, What should they buy? Well, if you go into a garden centre, it is really important to look for for trees that have freshly been delivered in. So healthy stock that's got active growing tips. Um, Quite often when you go into a garden centre, um, the trees should be well labelled. They've often got big colour labels and they might tell you that it's British grown, for example, so it's great to support the industry in this country. Clear labelling obviously is, is very important and quite often on the labels they'll have the delivery date that we deliver into the garden centre. Do you know I hadn't noticed that all my years in the trade? I must look for that. It's a great key actually to look for because it really means that you can, if you pick one that's been delivered in the last couple of months you're really getting fresh stock um, and it's come fresh from the nursery with all the nutrients and care it needs to be able to establish well in your garden with slow-release fertilisers too, they'll be there to feed it for pretty well through into the spring and early summer, won't they? That's exactly right. We charge up our stock with some good, as you say, um, control-release fertilisers that should last for up to about 12 months with the um, growing media with the tree that goes with it. If you buy it freshly once it's been delivered into the garden centre, you're getting all that nutrients going right into your garden and helping the tree establish. If it's sat on the garden centre for quite a long time, it may have used up that vert um, and therefore be becoming a little bit tired. Now, if if you were, uh, again, in this position and looking for one or two apples, Mm -hmm. what would your choice be to the average homeowner? They'll need something fairly easy, won't they? Something which grows uh, and resists pests and diseases a bit? Absolutely, yeah. Um, It's so hard to pick one or two varieties, but there are some brilliant ones out there that are quite easy to grow, actually. Um, Varieties like uh, Red Windsor, um, apples, these are, um, and Scrumptious, which are quite disease-resistant. They don't grow too big either. I love that Scrumptious, goodness. That's well-named. I've got got one of those in my garden. You pick that when it's fully ripe from the tree. Fairly early, isn't it? It is quite early, yeah, September time, yeah. Yeah, that's a cracking apple. And flavour as well is so important. So varieties like Christmas Pippin, which have Cox heritage, 
um, are slightly improved on the old-fashioned cocks, so easier to grow and less disease-prone, um, but have such amazing flavour. So, yeah, I would always pick flavour probably over other traits in apples. Yes, I think you should eat the apple before you buy the tree almost, mm. because once the tree's in, you've got it for a long time, haven't you? That's exactly right. And many of these varieties are quite easy to grow. They don't grow too big if you go for a small, what we call, rootstock, which you can ask for advice in a garden centre when you go in to buy one. What about this fastidiate birch that we hope to take to Chelsea Flower Show? Oh, it's such a fantastic variety. After a number of years, it will have white bark, um, and it's so fastidious, and by fastidious we mean upright, that it probably doesn't get any wider than about half a metre. And so it's like a beautiful pillar going up into the sky. So it's such an exciting variety, that one. I've got one, you know, it's about eight feet high now, and, and really lovely soft foliage, isn't it? Yeah. It is, is yeah. There, is there anything else, too, that we should look out? Well, we've got a few new releases to come out next year, for example. Some more upright crab apples, in fact. So going along the same lines, they don't take up a lot of space in one's garden. And Malus aros would be one to look out for in the future. But there are quite a few of varieties like that. So if you're concerned about space, for example, in your, in your garden, there's usually something that we can find that would fit the place. I can tell you, Steph, too, that uh, in our gardening spread in the TV magazine this coming Saturday, uh, there's a little picture of your dad standing in one of those magnificent uh, stands of trees that you have. Do you know, I love to go in September onto a tree nursery and see those rows of trees where you could almost put a spirit level on the top. That shows the skill of the grower. Oh, thank you. That's a real compliment. Thank you, Peter. Don't have much time left this week. Been rabbiting on a bit too fast, haven't I? But but, but just uh, one little quick letter. Uh, This one says, uh, I have a round bed in the garden, seven feet by nine, and want to know if there is a standard rose that I could put in the middle and how many bush roses I'd need to plant around it. Well, I think the first thing you need to to be told is that circles don't have sides and it's... (laughs) A bit, a bit difficult to answer that one. And, of course, it depends what size of rose you're going to have. If you've got one of the little patio roses, then you'll need quite a lot. And if it's the ordinary bush roses, yes, it would take about seven, I think, with the standard in the middle. You can subscribe to the Sun Gardening newsletter at sungardening.co.uk and you can press the subscribe button on iTunes to have this podcast appear on your devices week after week. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.